are listening to the God Archie Podcast, where we shove crowbar between state and church. This is the spot where Christian faith intersects with libertarian anarchism and voluntarism. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. In this episode, we're going to talk about the war in Yemen and how to stop it. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Godarchy Podcast. As always, I am very, very, very appreciative of the fact that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to listen to the show, and I think it's going to be a good one today. Now, this is kind of a, a backup and punt episode, to be honest, because I had a, a different guest scheduled, and uh, he ran into some scheduling issues, some family stuff came up, so we had to postpone that interview, so that one will be coming up probably in uh, the next episode. But that opened up a little bit of space and was very fortuitous because I heard Scott Horton uh, about a week ago on the Tom Woods show talking about Yemen and what's going on right now that could potentially end this horrible, awful war that the United States has been part of uh, for the better part of almost a decade now. Um, the The human toll that this war has taken is unspeakably horrible. And so as soon as I heard Scott talking about this, especially because there is action for you to take, I really wanted to get it on in a timely manner. And fortunately, Scott was able to come on at short notice, do the interview. And so here we are. And, you know, this is really fundamentally at the core of what I want to do here at Godarchy. I started it initially because I wanted there to be a voice that was unapologetically anti-war and also Christian. And I think Godarchy has been consistent in that. Uh, I don't believe in the state's wars at all, and I don't think Christians should have any place in them. And I think when we have the opportunity to de-escalate or stop war or oppose it, or whatever, that we should take that opportunity as followers of the Prince of Peace. This is what we should be doing. So uh, we're going to talk to Scott. Well, he's going to tell us kind of the background of this war, because honestly, I don't think a lot of people are really aware of what's going on, how we drug ourselves into this mess, and just how convoluted it is politically. And then, again, there's going to be some action items for you guys to take um, that he'll talk about at the end of the show. Before I get to that, I am very, very excited to have a new sponsor for the God Archie podcast, Fox & Sons Coffee. Now, I myself, not a big coffee fan, but my wife, huge coffee fan. And I've watched her struggle to find good coffee at a reasonable price. Well, Fox & Sons won't disappoint. Visit foxandsons.com, that's F-O-X-N-S-O-N-S.com, and you'll not only find delicious whole bean organically roasted coffee, you'll also be supporting a very cool family business. Steve Fox developed his love for coffee as a young kid going to work with his dad on Saturdays. And Steve says that he started this company both as a way to honor his father and his memory and and those times together, and then also to have a business that he can pass on to his sons along with the spirit of entrepreneurship. So very cool. Check it out. 
foxandsons.com, and I'm not sending you over there empty-handed. No, no, no. You can save $1 off any order over 20 bucks with the promo code GODARCHY. So check that out today, foxandsons.com. I will link to it on the show notes page. Uh, please support this business if you're a coffee drinker. I am certain you're not going to be disappointed in the product, and uh, it's a reasonable price, according to my wife. So very cool. And one more item of business before we get to the interview. If you want to support the work that we're doing here at Godarchy, support the podcast, support the website, you can do that through the website. Just go to godarchy.org, click on the supporters button at the top, and you'll see how you can support the work that we're doing here uh, financially. Uh, it'll explain the program. There are some benefits. If you are a supporter, you will get access to special stuff, including the quickly pop, uh, quickly becoming very popular mudslide round with my guests, where I ask them fun questions and they answer them, um, not in lightning round fashion, but very very slowly most of the time. Uh, but please do check that out. I definitely value your support. I thank all of the folks who are supporting the show. Uh, if you don't want to do the monthly supporters thing, you can do a one-time donation through PayPal, also over on the website at godarchy.org. And uh, also, if you're interested in donating in Bitcoin or Ethereum, I will happily take that donation. And uh, there is a link on the side of the um, website where you can do that. Uh, but again, really do appreciate everybody who supports the show. The more support, the better. The more support we get, the more we can do. And uh, of course, I've explained before, 40% of what we bring in here through the Godarchy website is moved on to other organizations uh, and folks who may be in need. So be a part of what we're doing here. Check it out. Godarchy.org slash plans slash support. Or just go to Godarchy.org, hit the support Godarchy button, and you'll see all of the information right there. So with that, let's get on with our discussion with Scott Horton. Um, Scott Horton is a foreign policy guru. Uh, he is the director of the Libertarian Institute. He's the editorial director over at antiwar.com. He is the host of Antiwar Radio, which is on Pacifica 90.7 FM KPFK in Los Angeles, California. He has his own podcast, The Scott Horton Show, over at scotthorton.org. He's the author of Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, both fantastic books. He's also edited The Great Ron Paul, The Scott Horton Show Interviews, 2004 through 2019, and the uh, 2022 book, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. Scott is an amazing worker for liberty and for peace. Uh, he has conduct conducted more than 5,700 interviews, most of them on anti-war topics. He's interviewed yours truly several times, um, and that's since 2003. So quite an uh, impressive list of credentials. Also, just a great guy and, and very passionate. That passion comes through when he starts talking. Uh, this guy cares about people. He cares about peace. He cares about liberty. So with no further ado, let's bring Scott on to the show. All right, I am here with my good friend, Scott Horton. Hey, buddy, how are you? 
I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, I really appreciate it. I know that um, you've been on several other shows talking about what's going on in Yemen and um, what we can do to to hopefully stop the carnage that's going on over there. So I wanted to get you on here because that's that's something that this show is really focused on is, is ending these damn wars. So yeah, um, great. What I'd like to do is just kind of, if you can, as, as succinctly as possible, which I know is not necessarily easy, but just kind of <laughs> give us an idea of what's yeah. going on in Yemen. Because I think there's probably a lot of people that are sitting there like Yemen. Not, and they don't even know where Yemen is, much less that there's some kind of issue going on. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'll take you through it, but I'll do it as bullet point kind of fashion. As awesome. I can. Okay. And I'll start right where you left off there. Yemen is the southwest corner of the Arabian Peninsula, right? Mm-hmm. So on the west side of it is the Red Sea. Uh, there and to the south is the Gulf of Aden and the Horn of Africa, the pointy part of Africa sticking out there, Somalia in the east. And then, you know, you keep going up the gates of the Red Sea that leads to the Mediterranean, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about. And we're talking about essentially the western half of the country, even though it's a long ways rectangle uh, laying on its side, I mean to say. We're really only talking about the western half of the country. The east is just desert kind of badlands out there. But we are going to be talking about a little bit of uh, north, south, and the middle here as we go through it. But I'll go through fast as I can. Obama comes into power. Uh-huh. He tells the CIA and the Air Force he wants them to use drones to assassinate Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, guys. Right. Now, so these these he, are the bad guys, right? These are the bad guys that dump the towers. Yes, sir. So these guys are not Al-Qaeda-linked, you know, meaning some Arab with a rifle somewhere, right? These are real dash a al-qaeda guys right. they are the guys that bombed the coal in 2000 they uh-huh. helped to coordinate september 11th right they uh, tried to blow up a plane over detroit on christmas day 2009 they did that. many of the massacres in uh including charlie hebdo and a couple of the other massacres in um in europe not just in france but in belgium as well right in uh the obama years in the 2000 teens remember those so uh, I think two or three of those, I need to, I'm sorry, I need to nail down this point. It, two or three of those, Michael, were AQAP involved. Some of them were just ISIS from Syria or whatever behind right. it, but AQAP was involved in a few of those. So these are real Al-Qaeda guys, mm-hmm. not just like, oh, a poor excuse for bombing something. Now, right. on the other hand, bombing them is a terrible idea because it just grows them. It's like pouring blood on an Al-Qaeda garden, man. Right. It just fertilizes the thing. <laughs> so they kill civilians. They call it a surgical strike with a scalpel, but it's not. It's not full-scale war, but it's still, you're bombing a house, right. killing civilians, rallying new people to their cause, et cetera, just like you would predict. Sure. Just like they call it, insurgent math. Right. And then they go, well, what are we going to do? Not do it? <laughs> yeah. And then they continue on. Okay, now, to accomplish this, they're bribing the dictator of the country, Abdullah Saleh, who's more or less in the middle of the country. This is all going on in the South, Al-Qaeda, right. the war against Al-Qaeda in the South. Um, now, we're bribing the dictator in the middle of the country, in the capital city of Sana'a, to allow us to do this, right? And we're giving him Obama. He's giving him money and weapons that he's then using in his war against his rivals, a group of Zaidi Shiites from the north of the country, the okay. Sada province, called the Houthis. Mm-hmm. Now, he's actually playing a double game against Obama, and he's using al-Qaeda and the Muslim Brotherhood as auxiliaries to his military fighting against the Houthis while he's allowing Obama to bomb him for the money that he's using to back him. <laughs> then guess what? He's also backing the Houthis against <laughs> his own army 
and against the Al-Qaeda and Muslim Brotherhood guys because his own army's a little bit too big for their britches and he's got to make sure that, you know, he stays, uh, you know, in power over them and that they're a little bit tired out and and too weakened to overthrow him. So uh, the perils of being a Yemeni dictator. This <laughs> right. Is so yeah. now the Arab Spring comes in 2011. Right. And all the protesters, including the Houthis, including the Muslim Brotherhood and the Southern Transitional Council, which is a group of socialists centered in the port city of Aden there where the coal was bombed. Mm -hmm. uh, all these different groups came together peacefully and said, let's overthrow Saleh and write a new constitution. Well, um, he refused to go. And so someone tried to kill him. And on the second time, he was forced out of the country to Saudi Arabia to convalesce in the hospital. He was wounded in a bomb attack okay. and had to go to the hospital. Well, while he was gone, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton swooped in. And with the Saudis, they decided that rather than letting the people of Yemen figure out a new way forward in their Arab Spring, that we would short circuit that and make sure that the vice president gets to stay in power. And so... They held, I swear this is true, and anyone can just put this right in Google Images or Google, you know, results, it'll come right up. National Public Radio covered it even. Um, they held an election with one man on the ballot. Right. One man, <laughs> one, one. one name, one oval to fill in. And then Hillary Clinton, of course, declared this the advent of Yemeni democracy. Of course. As uh, Hadi was put into power. But of course, Hadi was a terrible dictator, and he ended up angering all factions and, uh -huh. and had nothing like the support that his predecessor had been able to wage. And his predecessor, Salah, after getting out of the hospital, instead of going home to a quiet life of study like Mullah Omar, he went away mad and he took about two thirds of his army with him. Hmm. And then here's the joke, Mike. He went up north and he joined forces with the Houthis that he had fought that previous five wars and lost for all these battles against them. He went and joined forces with them. It turned out he was a Saudi Shiite too, just not a member of the Houthi family and tribe, but he was still close enough to get along with them. Right. So now we're talking 2000, you know, late 2012, 13, right? So now eventually uh, Hadi blows, you know, is such a bad dictator. And one of the final straws is he tries to draw like state lines around what had been regions of okay. Yemen in a way that would cut the Houthis off from their access to the Red Sea without new obstacles in their right. right. So they said, that's it. And they went to war against the uh, Hadi regime. And so it was the Houthis allied with the last dictator, Saleh, against uh -huh. the new dictator, Hadi, right? It's the end of 2014, beginning of 2015, they win. They seize the capital city and Saleh flees. Okay. Now, pardon me. Salah takes over. Hadi flees. Right, right. They chase him to Aden and then chase him to Saudi Arabia. Right. And so uh, now you have this ruling coalition of the last dictator. Salah is back, but now with the Houthis ruling the capital city. Now, I got to stop the story here to say it's so important that our current Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, uh -huh. at that time was the commander of Central Command, a four star general, commander okay. of Central Command. And which, by the way, we should not have a four-star general as our Secretary of Defense, but that's a separate issue. They, there's even a law against it, but they issued a waiver to allow it, um, just as they did for General Mattis, which is a very bad precedent. It is, yeah. You know, um, but anyway, um, so Lloyd Austin, at that time, was the commander of Central Command. Well, he starts passing intelligence to the Houthis to use to kill Al-Qaeda guys. Because <laughs> he doesn't care about all this, right. you know, BS about, oh, Iran's friends, the Houthis are in power now. 
He wants to kill the guys who tried to sink the coal. Right. And to Al-Qaeda, the only good Shiite is a dead Shiite. Uh So to the Houthis, the only good Al-Qaeda guy is a dead Al-Qaeda guy. Right. So they have their own baked-in hardcore incentive to kill Uh Al-Qaeda because Al-Qaeda literally has genocidal intent against them. Right. As demonstrated repeatedly, especially in Iraq War II and in Syria. Exactly. Right? So these Houthis are just happy as hell to kill al-Qaeda for us. Sure. And so we have a report in the Wall Street Journal and in Al Monitor, both from January 2015. And I urge people to read them. It's quite enlightening. Yeah. America's passing intelligence to the Houthis to use to kill al-Qaeda. Okay. Two months later, in March of 2015... Barack Obama and Lloyd Austin stabbed the Houthis in the back, Mike, and they changed sides. They switched sides in the war to back Saudi Arabia, UAE, and Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula in their war against their worst enemies, the Shiite Houthis. Now, let me, and, let me, let me go out on a limb and take a guess sure. here. The, the U.S. is appeasing their buddies in Saudi Arabia. That's right. Yeah. Um, but but hold that thought for just one second, right. because I just made a pretty wild claim. And I want to at least just issue, because it's not just a de facto kind of thing. It's, it's a little bit you know worse than that. So I just want to, um, and we can revisit this in more detail if you want later. But as far as taking Al-Qaeda's side here, there's a guy named Michael Horton, who's no relation to me, uh-huh. shares the last name. He's at the Jamestown Foundation. And he's a, or I, he was, at least, I, I think he still is. And he's considered a real Yemen expert uh-huh. and, you know, terrorist expert. And he's not like some kind of crazy hawk or anything like that. Right. But he's a guy who really like is in-depth study of these different characters and all these movements and all of these things. And he told Mark Perry in March of 2015, he said, you know, John McCain complains that we're flying as Iran's Air Force in Iraq which was true at that time. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, that's a whole different point. Right. I could make it, but I won't. Right, right. John McCain complains we're flying as Iran's Air Force in Iraq right now. Uh-huh. But we're flying as Al-Qaeda's Air Force in Yemen, is what he told Mark Perry. Huh. And that was the reality of the situation. It has yeah. been the reality of the situation all this time. And in fact, the UAE, well, in fact... They ruled Al-Qaeda in the AQAP, the literal organization itself, took over the port city of Mukalla and seven more towns. And all this is in my book enough already. I explain Uh all this. And seven more towns made hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars in tax revenue. And they, of course, they cut taxes because they were less corrupt. They just wanted, you know what I mean? It it wasn't getting dispersed in as wide places. So they were able to cut taxes, increase trade and goodwill among the population. Right. You know, your new security force, Al-Qaeda terrorists, <laughs> we're cutting your taxes and setting you free compared oh, to the wow. last guy, right? But then they're still making a killing off of their tariffs and whatever taxes they were collecting. Right. They're making hundreds of millions, and they seized military bases and all the weapons magazines and all of these things, right? It's just a disaster. So in 2000, that was, you know, beginning in 2015. So when I think it was 2017, or it might have been, I think it was 17, it could have been 18, but I think it was 17. The Americans told the UAE, hey, listen, Al-Qaeda is out of control here, and they're making our war effort look really bad. I mean, this is just a catastrophe. They created their own little Islamic state there on the coast. What the hell are right. we doing? So then the UAE went in there and wiped them out. 
Nah, I'm just kidding. The UAE went in there and hired them all and <laughs> renamed them the Giants Brigade. Oh. And America's been essentially helping to fly their Air Force and backing their war effort ever since then. That's what the AQAP is now, the Giants Brigade at war against the Houthis. And even CNN during Obama times, they were not accusing Trump, implicating Trump somehow. During Obama times, CNN reluctantly admitted that, yeah, look, here's AQAP driving around in American MRAP armored personnel carriers and not joyriding them, taking them into battle. Uh And this is not, Mike, and I know you're familiar with this, this is not like when ISIS stole all the weapons that W. Bush left behind in Western Iraq. Right. This is not like the time that the Taliban stole all the weapons that Biden left behind in Afghanistan. Uh-huh. These are weapons that America sold to UAE that UAE gave to their auxiliary force militia, al-Qaeda, uh-huh. to use in their war against the Houthis. It is treason. Yeah, It is absolutely. So here this war is completely unconstitutional. It's not authorized in any way. Obama just launched it and he didn't even declare war. You know who declared war? State Department spokeswoman Bernadette Meehan (laughs) is the one who declared war on Yemen. Find that in the Constitution, Constitution. right? That's right. Um, There's no authorization for this. And it literally has been directly to the benefit of al-Qaeda. Again, Uh the guys who did help to coordinate the September 11th attack, the famous Yemen switchboard house, was the father-in-law of one of the the Flight 77 hijackers that hit the Pentagon. Uh Um, And so, uh, but now, so to the politics of how this started, that your question there about, you know, placating the Saudis is the words that the Obama administration used to the New York Times to explain why they did this. It's in no way America's national security interest imperiled by the Houthis. Again, um, Lloyd Austin was happy to have them. Yeah. Great partners against terrorists. Let's just do business, right? Mm -hmm. It was this higher level politics that intervened in what to him was clear strategy in terms of fighting the war he wanted to fight against bin Laden's men, right? right? What else is there? And they hit the damn Pentagon. I don't care what the kooks say. It was the Yemeni switchboard house guy's son-in-law who flew Mm -hmm. that plane into that Pentagon. That's why Lloyd Austin wanted to kill them. You know, that's just that, right? But And in fact, Mark Perry reported about this in Foreign Policy in a follow-up piece that when Obama made Lloyd Austin switch sides in the war, that he was mad as hell and all was emotional and had written a letter, I believe had gone so far as to write the letter to Obama, essentially cursing him out and saying, how dare you do this? when we just have this awesome new policy we've just implemented, it's working great. And not that I'm endorsing, I'm saying that was his position. Right. And 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 now you're just ruining everything. And it was the kind of thing that was going to get him fired. And according to Mark Perry, he, all his buddies talked him out of it. And yeah. so then instead he clicked his heels and obeyed and, and switched sides in the war as Obama wanted him to do. And it's really ugly along those lines. Now, sorry. So back to your point about Saudi here. What was going on at the time, if you remember, in the spring of 2015, we had the interim nuclear deal. Right. And John Kerry was working on getting the all the way through the JCPOA, as it's called, right. um, the uh, Iran nuclear deal, the Joint um, Comprehensive Plan of Action. Uh-huh. Now, uh, the New York Times ran this piece, um, quiet involvement entangles U.S. and Yemeni war, something like that. Uh-huh. But here's your keywords to search. They said, and this is the New York Times paraphrasing, okay? It's the the reporter's words, but I think in this case, you can trust them because what's happening here is this is not some kind of scoop. 
the sourcing for the article is 17 Obama administration officials, mm-hmm. right? Went and said to the New York Times, you guys are hired to write this piece for us, explaining right. ourselves. That's basically what the piece is. Mm-hmm. And so they say, the war, they know the war will be long, bloody, oh. and indecisive. Hmm. Meaning, well, so long and indecisive, both meaning we don't even know what victory is supposed to look like right. here. We're getting into this thing, Powell Doctrine, Weinberger Doctrine, about know what you're doing and get in there and win and no. leave and all that. Forget that. We're just going. And then bloody, of course, means people are going to be torn to shreds by high explosives. Right. Right. That's what we're talking about. People dying in the most miserable circumstances you can imagine. Okay. So, um, and then they say, but we have to do this to placate the Saudis. That's the quote. Now, you might ask yourself uh, why the Saudis need to be placated if Obama is signing a nuclear deal with Iran that is going to lock down their program further than ever before, expand inspections further than ever before, pour concrete into their Boucher heavy water reactor, right? right? So so the Saudi um, security state ought to be thrilled. You would think. Right, but no, because here's the problem. The Iranian nuclear weapons program was always a hoax. They right. weren't making nukes in the first place. If they were, they'd have had some by now. Right? Right? <laughs> the, the old Ayatollah forbid it back in the 80s. The new Ayatollah has forbidden it all along since right. then. And uh, and that's helped. And it's just, it, the proof is in the time that's passed. Right. All those claims they were making nukes couldn't possibly be true. We're talking about 1940s technology here, right. man. It's they the worst have, program ever. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, so that was never the issue mm-hmm. that Saudi was afraid that Iran was going to build a nuclear weapons capability and attack them with it or some kind of thing, threaten them with it. The issue was that if Obama is taking the fake threat of an Iranian bomb off the table right. and taking the threat of war over, you know, sort of these Western and Israeli pretensions about Iran's nuclear program, uh-huh. then is that Obama opening the door to a brand new relationship with Tehran? Uh-huh. And is he going to go to Tehran or he's going to invite the Ayatollah to D.C. or he's going to send his ambassador and reopen the embassy and America's going to start tilting back towards Persia at Can't Saudi Arabia's expense? Right. Can't have that. So now what do we have? We have the empire patting the client state on the head and reassuring them that no, 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 you're still number one to us in our empire, in your region, right? Or after Israel, you're number two in our order, right? And so to make you feel good about that, yes, we will help you launch this war in Yemen. And then here's the other separate thing about that. Well, one more thing on the politics for the motive of the war is the current crown prince of Saudi Arabia and de facto king, Mohammed bin Salman, Mohammed bin Bonesaw, the butcher of uh, right. Jamal Khashoggi there, the uh-huh. Washington Post reporter. He was, at that time, the 29-year-old brand-new defense minister and deputy crown prince of Saudi Arabia. And he launched that war for his own public choice theory reasons, for his own political posture inside the Saudi royal family. Right. And it worked. Remember those mass arrests uh-huh. of powerful Saudis and the seizure of all of their billions? I do. That included his cousin, Prince Mohammed bin Nayef, the crown prince. Get him out and of the way. And that's why MBS is the crown prince today. And he used this war to do that. 
right? To, to bolster his influence as this ambitious young man. So this has nothing to do with protecting the United States of America. Could you think of a, a reason more further removed than Saudi royal court politics that the American people have to be involved in this? Right. And then crazy. here's the worst part of it is we have this terrible diffusion of responsibility here uh-huh. where, you know, not to give the Americans credit, because after all, at the end of the day, even excluding Yemen, the terror wars throughout the Middle East have cost the lives of something like 2 million people. Yeah. It's just an absolute catastrophe. Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Libya, Syria, right. and Somalia, and throughout, you know, North Africa now and all this. It's just an absolute catastrophe. But I have to say, and look, they even backed Al-Qaeda suicide bombers and stuff in Syria. I mean, it's just, you can't get worse than that. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, in Iraq War One. Colin Powell deliberately destroyed the water, the sewage, the electricity, and right. all of this stuff. W. Bush and Obama didn't do that in their wars. I don't believe they did that in Libya. And they, they certainly didn't call in airstrikes on Syrian electricity and water and sewage right. and stuff like this. In Iraq War II, of course, they were trying to maintain the infrastructure because they were going to take over the whole damn country and keep right. it. Right. So they tried to keep the war limited to the Republican Guard this time and that kind of thing as they invaded. But what we have in Yemen, well, and I should say in Somalia, they fought this mostly proxy war uh-huh. uh, for the last 20 years. It's really America's longest war, not still Afghanistan. Still going on. And yeah, that's right. It's still going on. And, and in fact, Joe Biden Ramping just them two days ago. Yeah, yeah, 30-something people killed. Um, and that has helped uh, lead to famine because there's been a terrible drought in the Horn of Africa. Uh-huh. And they're now going into their third major famine. But the thing is this. In Eritrea and Ethiopia, well, we'll see about Ethiopia now because they're now in a terrible civil war. But previously, in Eritrea, Ethiopia, and Kenya, they all suffered the same drought, but they didn't all lay down and die. Right. The Somalis had to lay down and die. And by Somalis, I mean, of course, five years old and younger, toddlers mm-hmm. and babies, the helpless innocent who couldn't possibly have any responsibility for anything are the ones who lay down and die because they're at war. And so all market distribution of goods and services, including food to eat, have completely broken down. So people are just living in refugee camps on the side of the road and they just lay down and die. Uh And there's just nothing for them to eat whatsoever but dirt and they're dead. And and that's America's fault. And it's America's responsibility. And in fact, as long as we're on Somalia, the war in Yemen, and I'm going to get back to Saudi uh, bombing the hell out of Yemen in a second, but the war in Yemen that America has abetted this whole time has helped to compound all of the food crisis in East Africa. Of course. And and there's this wonderful article, terrible, wonderful article, that everyone should read by uh, Morgan Hunter at antiwar.com. And it's something about Yemeni War Unleashes Locust Plague on East Africa. Morgan Hunter. And what happened was... By the way, they only just figured this out, is my understanding, Mike. Correct me if you know different than this. My understanding is they never really knew why sometimes grasshoppers turn into locusts. But now they figured it out. It's when they're so overpopulated and densely packed that the male's legs all rub up against each other is what seems to trigger the metamorphosis and turn harmless grasshoppers or mostly harmless grasshoppers into what they call a plague of locusts with their biblical-level destructive capacity, right? right? Well... In Yemen, they got a massive grasshopper problem. And in Yemen, at the university, I'm not sure if it's the University of Sana'a or exactly what I could find out, I guess. 
Uh, I need to reread the article. But they had a, at a major university there in Sanaa, the graduate students had a program where every spring they went out and committed genocide against the grasshoppers. Huh. They would go out and eradicate them with I don't know what poisons or fire or violence right. to destroy the grasshopper population. Well, of course, America's war in Yemen has destroyed the university, destroyed that program. Uh-huh. And so the grasshopper populations went completely uncalled and untamed. And that led to a locust plague. Wow. And when you read about the massive locust plague in East Africa over the last three years, they flew across the Red Sea from Yemen, wow. where Barack Obama and Donald Trump had set them loose. And that's just the reality of the situation. USA, like the devil himself, unleashing a plague of locusts on innocent people whose countries happen to be adjacent to the country we're mercilessly attacking for no good reason whatsoever. Mm. It's just unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I'll link to Uh, that article. Um, And now, but so here's the thing that, and what got me diverted onto that was the set, unlike Iraq War II or Libya um, or even Afghanistan, such as it was, the air war there, um, the Saudis have co- absolutely deliberately targeted the water, the electricity, the sewage, marketplaces, funerals and schools mm. and hospitals, including in the middle of the worst cholera outbreak recorded since World War II, which means worse than what Bush won and Bill Clinton did to Iraq with their war and sanctions, um, where thousands of, again, children under five years old right. especially are dying of cholera. They bomb the cholera hospitals. Jesus. And, you know, Martha Mundy from the London School of Economics did this study for Tufts University, where she documented how they bomb the farms and how, like all of them, they bomb all the grain silos and all the irrigation ditches and the flocks of sheep in the fields and the horses in their stables, all the fishermen's boats and all the trucks. You know, if there's a car dealership anywhere, a factory that processes food of any kind. I remember there was one where they bombed the potato chip factory and, you know, just whatever else they can. Um, I think it's in the book. I quote the guy screaming up. They're just bombing a neighborhood, just absolutely like bombing apartment complexes. And the guy screaming about like this woman, uh, you know, this widow and her young children sold eggs on the street to survive. And they're now dead, torn to pieces by American bombs. And what the hell did they ever do? Right. And that's the war that we've been fighting for seven and a half years. Just outright bombing neighborhoods, carpet bombing neighborhoods. Yeah. Right. So am I using hyperbole if I use the word genocide? No. Because see, here's the thing. It's First of all, it's the poorest country in the Middle East, mm-hmm. right? They have barely any oil resources and the American-backed dictators squander whatever money they did have from their right. own previously, right? So this is the poorest country in the Middle East. And uh, essentially because of this diffusion of responsibility, where Obama gives them the green light and Obama sells them all the planes and all the bombs, right? but he also sends, and by Obama, I mean Trump and Biden too, mm-hmm. sends them all the resupply of the bombs, but also sends them the uh, military, you know, civilian and official military um, and contractor uh, employees to go over there and take care of one, all the care and feeding and maintenance of the planes Uh and all of the everything involved with that. 
but also including all the logistics in term in terms of air traffic control right. and just who's flying on what day and all these things. This is all Americans arranging all of this. Wow. And it's then in terms of the intelligence too, Americans helping to pick the targets. And then at least in the first few years of the war is American Air Force planes flying refueling missions. Mm, I remember that. Um, yeah, which, of course, that's to help the UAE and Saudi F-15s loiter around and pick targets from the air to destroy, which mm -hmm. means they have no idea who they're bombing. They're killing innocent people below right. based on like, well, that looks like a neighborhood full of happy people. Let's make them miserable <laughs> this afternoon. That mm -hmm. kind of uh, targeting, which is how they did it. And then the only reason they stopped doing it is because uh, Trump just sold them enough Boeings that um, they could just do it themselves now with all the American training that they need and still American logistics providing it. Right. So now we have that deniability. And of course, don't let me leave out the U.S. Navy, which has been, you know, we ruled seven seas. Everybody knows that. Right. Um, and so we help the Saudi blockade, but there's no Saudi blockade without the U.S. Navy to enforce it for right. them. And people go, oh yeah, what's the proof of that? Well, there's one famous missile attack by the Houthis on an American Navy ship. Uh -huh. So subtract that, you know, how when you Google and then, but you use a dash for a minus and you say minus missile, right? Uh -huh. And then just put in U.S. Navy, Yemen, and you'll see a hundred reports or more of U.S. Navy seizes ship, accuses Iran of sending them weapons. Now, a lot of the time, this is debunked. Gareth Porter showed where one of these times it was just a boat full of not even weapons at all, right. just food or whatever else. And another one of these times, the boat was actually leaving uh, leaving Yemen on the way to Somalia wow. because this place is so lousy with weapons. They're uh, you know more heavily armed than Texans per capita. <laughs> and so even in the middle of a war, they're exporting light arms wow. um, to, to the war across the Red Sea there, So or at least in the black market. And I can say this um, on the record now because... Um, he said it in an interview with me of me on this same topic um, that my friend and, uh, uh, you know, current co-author on my Russia book that I'm working on, Daryl Cooper, who's the host of the great podcast Martyr Made, he has told the story and he's now publicly put his name on it, too. He's willing to tell the story. He was I don't know if he was like hands on, but he was absolutely there, at least as the U.S. Navy is seizing dows. These are, you know, tiny little boats, basically uh -huh. just barely big enough to be called a ship. Right. Um, seizing dows full of medical supplies and hash. Uh -huh. And then all they would do is throw all of it into the sea. There's no Iranian weapons, no missiles, no nothing right. like in the accusation. They're enforcing a blockade. They're taking medical supplies, uh -huh. the U.S. Navy, and throwing them in the Sea of, a the sea of uh, Aden there. Uh, Gulf of Aden, I mean to say. Um, and so that's, what do you call that? That's the U.S. Navy enforcing that blockade this whole yeah. time. The Saudis Absolutely. don't have the ships that, you know, to enforce it all. That's the U.S. doing it. So every bit of this is with American culpability. But you see how it's like a lynch mob where yeah. the responsibility is diffused. Right. All we're doing is we're helping them. Now, maybe we're helping them in, and you have to put that word in all capitals, bold, italics, and underlined. Boy, are we helping the hell out of them. Yeah, but, right? but no, it's them, you. though. They're yeah. the ones who are doing it. Right. right. All we did was sell them the rope and the rifle and the white sheet. But, yeah, and, and you know, tell them to go. <laughs> yeah, and sit there in the crowd chanting, get them, you yeah. know, while they, while they do their lynching. You know, and by the way, the UAE has been implicated in massive torture here and excellent reporting by the Associated Press on this. Anyone can find this in, in their torture prisons. Um, 
where they're torturing people to death, raping them to death, burning them over spits like Han Solo and the Ewoks, you know, to death, barbecuing human beings to death. And and this is, a, you know, again, this is the people America's flying their air cover. This is yeah. the people whose war we're supporting. It's the people who are acting as absolute monsters, you know? Um, and so anyway, now here's the good news, Mike. You ready? I, I was, I was waiting for it. I, well, actually, I was going to ask, what can we do about it? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm guessing so maybe the there thing. is something. Oh, and, I, and I, I should have said, though, about the humanitarian situation. Clearly, hundreds of thousands of people have been killed. The minimum right. is 500,000 people, civilians. Half a million people. Half a million people have died. And I guarantee you it's higher than that. When they do the excess death yeah, rate, and always, we do all the starvation and all the, you know, the number of moms with dead kids and, um, and you know, the people who died of easily treatable diseases. Right. You know, you gotta you die to the common cold because other your body is otherwise so weak of starvation and malnutrition right. and whatever you can't even fight off a damn rhinovirus kind of thing. Um, we're gonna we're gonna find it's somewhere near a million or God forbid more. Yeah. Uh civilians, innocent people by definition killed in this thing. So now here's the good news. Okay. As Biden sort of kind of seems to be following through finally on his promise to end this thing. He's trying to. Uh-huh. And you know, if I'm God, I'll be first in line to condemn Anthony Blinken straight to hell for risk a nuclear war in Ukraine right now the way that he is. But he seems to be working with the United Nations to negotiate an end to this war. He's not obstructing them. He seems to be encouraging them. Right. And the UN is essentially helping to host these negotiations. Now, as we record this two-thirds of the way through September here, um, we are now um, nearing the fifth month of a two-month-long ceasefire. It's continually been re-upped, and I think there's a question whether it's going to be re-signed at the end of this month, but uh, prospects are pretty good for that, okay? So that alone is huge. This ceasefire, um, it has not been 100% complete, but it is by far the most real ceasefire of the war so far. The rest of them amounted to nothing, basically, and fell apart. Um, We do have here the opening of the airport to limited traffic. We have a lifting of the blockades and this kind of thing. In fact, I talked to Yemeni reporter, friend of mine the other day on the show, Nasser Arabi, who's extremely optimistic and positive about what's happening here. One of the keys is that the Saudis have abandoned their insistence that Hadi, the former dictator, be allowed back into power. He's now been thrown under the bus and they've appointed this new ruling council to negotiate with the Houthis and they are negotiating with them. And in fact, so that ruling council came to New York and met with Blinken and with one of the Houthi representatives, I believe is what Nasser said. I'm sorry, I'm so far behind on the news, man. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they met at the UN in New York. Good. Um, And so they're trying to push this thing forward. But now, so here's where we can play a real important role here. You know, because Biden did say, as soon as he took power, we're ending all support for the war there. We'll help the Saudis defend themselves from Houthi attacks into Saudi Arabia, right? By selling them Patriot missiles. That's, okay. you know, anti-missile missiles right. or anti-drone technology. But we're not going to help them attack Yemen anymore. But then he went back on that and he kept helping them anyway yeah. for another year after that or more. A year mm-hmm. and a couple of months at least, right? So... I'm with Joe Biden, we're talking about here. Sometimes he has sort of kind of good instincts, but still he's a total pushover and a senile old fool. Right. And he's actually really bad half the time too. And so mm-hmm. like, who knows, right? Um, so the answer is, and it's unbelievable. I'll start with the facts here. I can report to you, sir. We have two 
active, real, no fooling, war powers resolutions in the House and the Senate right now. And that's the War Powers Act that they passed over Richard Nixon's veto in mm -hmm. 1973, which ain't perfect. It's essentially, in a way, it's a de facto authorization of aggressive war. Right. But at least it says they can make him stop after 60 days. Right. Well, we're way past 60 yes, days. Yes, we are. And he's got no authorization from Congress whatsoever to do this. Mm -hmm. And so um, Representative DeFazio and a handful of others uh, introduced it in the House. It now has 116 co-sponsors in the House, Mike. That's great. I know you know that that is something. That's, That's not big. nothing. Mm -hmm. This is not just a stunt. This is a real thing. And in the Senate, it was Warren and Sanders who introduced it. And we really need pressure on Mike Lee and Rand Paul, most of all, Ted Cruz and whoever else we could possibly influence on this too, but especially Mike Lee and Rand Paul. We absolutely have to get them to co-sponsor this thing yeah. in the Senate, where it's Senate uh, Resolution 56. It's H.J. Res 87 in the House and S.J. Res 56 in the Senate, 87 and 56. And... um. And we really need, and, and look, Mike Lee co-sponsored the thing back in 2019. Unfortunately, Trump vetoed it. I think it'd be much harder for Biden to veto it. He could, I admit, but be much harder for him to, especially with it's a Democratic Congress passing it in the name of supporting his position mostly, right? right? Um, it should be okay to do. Um, but now I know um, Mike Lee has a tough election challenge coming up here against evil CIA McMullen. I think this is a good opportunity for him to distance himself from that kind of horribleness uh -huh. and leave that in the past. He shouldn't be intimidated. He should look at this as an opportunity to be Mike Lee at his absolute best again. Yes. You know, and and quite frankly, he's been better than Rand Paul on this issue mm -hmm. for many years. Um, Rand at least always votes for the thing when it comes up. So that sure is always good. But Mike Lee is the one really who we need to co-sponsor this thing more than any other thing. And that really should help to get other Republicans to feel like it's okay. Right. And by the way, as long as I'm ranting about this, um, I had called Ted Cruz's office and I emphasized that this is not the war against AQAP. In fact, the resolution says, we're not talking about the war against AQAP. It doesn't officially authorize it, but it says we're not ending that. We're ending the war for them. We're ending the war right. against the Houthis. It's a different question. Uh -huh. right? It's not authorizing. It's just a separate question. Um, and so I emphasized to Ted Cruz's staff that, look, man, this isn't the drone war against AQAP. This is really us flying as their Air Force, et cetera, et cetera, like I told you. Right. But then a guy on Twitter found for me a tweet by Ted Cruz from 2015 where he's saying if we get rid of Assad in Syria, that will help ISIS. So that's bad for national security. So he wasn't sticking up for Assad, but he was just saying, look at the alternative is Baghdadi. Right. The butcher. And so that is the exact same argument here. It's the mm -hmm. exact same argument. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you're mad at the Shiites, but if the Shiites lose, Al Qaeda is the vanguard prepared right. to take their place. Yeah. And there ain't nothing worse than that. And so you could even, you don't have to be a Ron Paul guy. You could be a right wing war hawk tough guy uh -huh. and say, this is not right. 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 Ted Cruz doesn't pretend to be Ron Paul. Mm -hmm. You know, Ted Cruz is a hawk, but Ted Cruz can be a smart hawk and he can say, you know, even if we should be bombing these guys, we should not be bombing those guys. What the right. hell sense does it make to bomb those guys? Yeah. You know what I mean? So just like in that tweet. So I actually called Ted Cruz's office back 
And I said, I want you to look at this tweet. You see this? He's saying, essentially, regardless of whatever you think of Assad, if he goes, ISIS wins, and we right. can't have that. It's the same exact argument in Yemen. And why are we even mad at the Houthis? The same reason we're mad at Assad, for yes. being friends with Iran, exactly. for being friends with the Shiite axis of power in the region. Well, tough. Al-Qaeda is worse. Mm -hmm. Al-Qaeda is the one that knocked our towers down, not Hezbollah. Right. So that's what it is. Sorry. Whatever Israel wants, whatever Saudi Arabia wants, should not have to come first when it comes to issues like whether Americans are supporting the suicide bomber brigades or not, for God's sake. That's right. You know? Um, so that's it. And we got, again, real momentum in the House, especially, but that translates to both. So this oh. is not just some publicity stunt and it's not just some nothing. But I'll tell you this too, though, Mike, we don't have a single star on TV who has taken this up as their cause. We don't have a single person on TV who even understands what's going on here. I That's bet right. Tucker Carlson would probably be the closest. I think I saw him discuss this with McGregor before, mm -hmm. where he said, geez, McGregor, it was the Sunnis that knocked our towers down, right? And McGregor's like, yes, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I don't think he's an expert enough. He's certainly not leading this charge for us. Right. There's nobody else, Mike. There's nobody else. This is all led by leftist and religious groups, progressive groups, and now also the Libertarian Party, uh -huh. Young Americans for Liberty, uh -huh. Bring Our Troops Home.us, the Tenth Amendment Center, and as many libertarian and right-leaning groups, and especially, man, for anybody in this audience who's a member of any right-leaning groups or got friends in any or anything, that we can sign up for this. We got Freedom Works is signed on. We have Our Street. We have the Taxpayers Protection Alliance is supporting it. And just as many groups as we can to just prove that, like, hell yeah, we support what they're doing. But you don't have to be a leftist. Right to disagree with this policy. You know, I hate to say it, but it's social psychology that makes the difference. Yeah. You know, if I give a speech and then a guy who's been to Afghanistan and back gives the same speech, it's just different. It you is. know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what it is. Um, and, and so we do have bring our troops home dot us mm -hmm. and defend the guard dot us. These groups that, that is led. Absolutely. I know you guys support them. That, right. that is led by combat veterans of these terror wars uh -huh. who absolutely know better firsthand. And so um, having them take the lead on this kind of thing is obviously huge and important. But man, we need allies. I'm begging for them. Yeah. Anybody who's part of any group at all. And frankly, I think if that's like, no, the United Bowling Leagues of Waco, Texas, like, why not? <laughs> why not? It's, yeah. If it's 25 people and you can say, hey, man, us 25 are guaranteed to vote one way or the other based on how you vote on this. It ain't a $10,000 contribution or not, but it's something. It is. You know what I mean? And seriously, here's the deal, Mike. I got to say, I don't believe in the system, man, and I don't much think it can work. And I'm a big fan of you guys' approach of just trying to get bottom-up power to nullify top-down power and just try to obstruct it right. as much as possible. But I'm not the kind of guy who tells some young man that, like, some catechism from our civic religion that like, young man, you need to go vote or maybe <laughs> even run for your state legislature. Whatever. Okay? Right. I don't believe I'm not, I'm, I have not been sold. Right. Right. However, where young man call your congressman is a joke spitting in the wind on the average Tuesday. That's not true if we're all doing it together. Right. And if literally thousands and thousands of us Possibly even tens of thousands of us are saying, no, that's it. We are taking a stand on this issue. I mean, look at it, man. 20 years of this, Mike. 
Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, and, and just all of it, Syria, Yemen, all this. Wouldn't we ever have a war powers resolution active in both houses we can pass? You know, yeah. in 2018, we had one in the House. We didn't even have one in the Senate. Right. So we passed in the House of what it amount to? Nothing. Mm-hmm. In 2019, we passed it, but Trump vetoed it. Right. It ain't no magic solution. You and I know they could just defund the damn thing, but they won't right. do that. This is what we've got. But this is the best opportunity that we've had to actually wield a cudgel in the National Congress to try to stop a war, probably in our lifetimes. Yeah. And we have, again, they want to quit. The Saudis are done. The UAE's done. The Houthis don't want, no, everybody is sick and tired of this war. The reason they're in the fifth month of a two-month ceasefire is because they want to quit it too. Yeah. So let's just go ahead and make it illegal to restart it. Can we I do like that? It. I, I like think it. we can do that. Yeah. Honestly, man. I really believe that we can do that. I really believe that with the, especially the power of the Libertarian Party's email list and Young Americans for Liberty and some of these other very large groups. I mean, Young Americans for Liberty has 500 chapters, yeah. which is, I don't know, even if they got 10 kids on each campus. Kids, pick up the phone, man. Get your mom and your dad and your boss and your, and your uh, bunkmate at your dorm and whoever to do this. The multiplier effect that's available there the people, we got, what, 20, 30,000 people on the Libertarian Party's email list? We should be hitting them two, three times a week. Have you called your senator and your congressman this week yet? If we can really do this, I mean, what the hell? We have to try. We have to try. Right. And the What's... goal is to make this the issue. We don't have a star on TV, but somehow we make it the issue anyway. There's enough of us and we're determined enough and we're loud enough, we're organized enough and we're working together to do it, to make it happen. And and seriously, think if on Christmas, you got to think back to like, God, jeez, we really could have done more to support that war powers resolution. You know, a couple of months from now, is that what we got to look back and kick ourselves for not doing enough? No way. We have to take this opportunity as much as we have it, you know? Right. What's 10 minutes out of your day, right? Seriously. If that. That's What's right. the number? And There's a number you can call, right? That's right. And look, and it ain't like you got to memorize a bunch of lies. All you got to do is get it right. This right. is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. Everybody knows we shouldn't be doing this, right? So here's what it is. 833-STOPWAR.COM. That's easy. I mean, why do we not all think of that our whole lives? <clears throat> 833-STOPWAR.COM. And then at that website, of course, that's the number to call as well. Um, and at that website, you have at the top some bullet points. Mm-hmm. The war is bad. We're on the wrong side of it, but we have a chance to end it now. So what we're doing is we're all calling our congressman about it and look below to see how to do that. Then you page down and it says, when you call your Democratic congressman or senator, tell them this. When you call your Republican congressman or senator, tell them that. If Look on this list here for people who are already co-sponsoring it. If that's your congressman, then call them and kiss their ass and tell them how yep. wonderful they are and how this is the most important thing in the world to you and how grateful you are that they give a shit, you know? Sorry, that they care about this. You can edit that. Fix it. Nah, that they I'm care about it. this <laughs> and, and want to do something about this. And then that's it. Like, we just have to build through the multiplication tables of all your listeners and all of Tom's listeners and all of Dave's listeners and all the LP people and all the YAL people and all the whoever the Taxpayers Protection Alliance is. God bless you. And I don't even believe in God, but man, uh, you know, whoever <laughs> else. Thanks to everyone. And, and, and again, I beseech anyone 
who can speak, especially in the name of a group. You call up and you go, well, listen, I'm a constituent. And this is my opinion. That's one thing. You call up and you go, listen, I'm the head of the local committee of people who care about this, that, or the other thing. Even if it's the local bird watchers group yeah. or the local um, quilting bee or the local bowling league or whatever it is, if you could credibly claim to speak for tens of people uh, or more, get the hell on the horn and say, this is what counts. And then so, man, screw January 6th. Aren't you sick of that? Uh, Are you sick of talking about whatever TV says we're supposed to care about every day? This is the most important thing in the world, other than whether they're going to get us nuked over far, far Eastern Europe or not. But in terms of something that we can do something about right now, then this is the best opportunity we have to end the worst travesty going on. It really is. And I don't like using hyperbole and all that. I don't want people to say, oh, I don't take that guy seriously because he's always trying to puff up reality with language or whatever. I don't want to be that guy. That, right. That's the kind of thing I'm against. I don't go around throwing around the word genocide because I want you to be upset, you know, more than is due or whatever. That wouldn't work anyway. That's stupid. Right. right? But what do you call it, Mike? When a, one country or a group of countries deliberately inflicts a famine on another country. It is by definition genocide. That's what you call it. When the Russians did it in Ukraine in the 1930s, stole all their grain and starved them to death, the whole of Demore, there's nothing else to call it. It's the same damn thing. Yeah. It is what it is. We have to stop it. And so, and, and I think it's great that in this time of just everyone so inundated and obsessed with the culture war, we got all these groups who, rather than fight with each other over things they disagree about, have decided to come together to stop the worst thing in the world going on that they agree about, that we have to do something about. And, and I think this is a really special role for libertarians to play, yeah. where right-wingers and left-wingers just can't talk to each other. That's fine. They can all come to our barbecue at our house, and we'll host the thing. I mean, 833-STOP-WAR is hosted by Demand Progress, which is a left uh, a progressive group, but nonpartisan yeah. and not communist, right? They're progressives, um, and they're, but they're not beholden to the Democratic Party in any way, mm -hmm. and, they, and they have no conflict of interest on this, right? They're just like you and me. They only care about it because it's wrong, period. Right. And oh. um, so... Um, but like overall, you know, probably if I just went to all my left wing Yemen activist friends and said, you guys need to reach out to all these people on the right, you probably wouldn't get as far as if I do the reaching out for them. Right. Right. And, and if you do, and if exactly. other libertarians and especially more conservative leaning libertarians, you know, again, it's all social psychology. Remember what Ron Paul did in 2008. Ron Paul said, you don't have to be a leftist to be anti-war. That right. was what he said. He goes, look at me. I'm a Texas Republican Party conservative congressman married to my first wife still, et cetera, like this. And decent and honest and respectable, you know, what you would want a conservative Republican to be. And man, I'm way more anti-war than that Michael Moore hypocrite. You know right. what I mean? He'll turn around and support Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Um, and, and so people said, oh, wow, you can do that? Sort of like the <laughs> Arab Spring. Oh, you can do that? Yeah, you can. And Donald Trump did the same thing. Of course, Donald Trump, being Donald Trump, not Ron Paul, he gets out there and he goes, the wars in the Middle East is the stupidest, dumbest, worst thing that any American president ever did. <laughs> like, all right. You know what? <laughs> Thank you. I'm not sure that's really true, but I'll take it. 
man, that's a good one. Thank, oh my God, thank God. And, and Republicans, instead of saying, how dare you? They said, all right, then. If Donald Trump says so, then I guess that's it. We don't that's believe right. in this anymore, do that's we? Right. I mean, right, it's the social psychology of the situation. Yep. Is it okay for you to believe this? What are your people going to think about you after you tell them the new opinion you have, right? Well, so we got to make it okay for them. You, you can be go. a hardcore right winger and be against this. You could be a socialist on the left and be against this. You could be a free market libertarian and be against this. You could have no politics at all and, be and say, it. what the hell do you mean we're back in Al-Qaeda and starving little babies? Enough. All right, we're going to get people on it. Before I let you go, what's going on at the Libertarian Institute? Man, I'm really proud of what we got going at the Institute now. I got a great team of guys. Almost all of them are 26 and have <laughs> really bright futures ahead of them, right? We got, uh, of course, me and Sheldon are the old guys the old dudes. Uh, heading it up. But and in fact, speaking of old guys, we just officially brought Jim Bovard on. I mean, oh, I've been nice. running his articles for a long time, but he's now, get this, junior fellow at awesome. the Libertarian Institute. Um, senior fellow is the great Lori Calhoun. Mm -hmm. Um, but then also on our masthead, we have as our, um, new managing editor, relatively new managing editor is Keith Knight, okay. uh, who is the publisher of the new book and editor of the new book, the voluntarist handbook, okay. um, yeah. which is all, you know, libertarian anarchist writing, mm -hmm. um, including an essay by me. Well, there you go. Um, about a leftist, but it's still good. Um, and, uh, and then we have um, Kyle Anzalone is yeah. our news editor. And Kyle's he, great. of course, we share Kyle and he's so good. And, and we share him with antiwar.com where he's uh -huh. opinion editor there. And then um, we've got, you know, his uh, sometimes sidekick uh, and mine, Connor Freeman uh -huh. uh, as well, who those two, well, and no, and Will Porter, th those three go together. They often right. write together. Uh, covering the news, some opinion pieces too, but mostly covering the news for us mm -hmm. uh, every day. And then, of course, we've got this great group of podcasters. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's me and Keith and Patrick McFarlane and, uh, of course, Tommy Salmons, the trucker. Yeah, uh, our Tommy's great too. Down there in, where does he live? Port A or something? Down on the Texas Gulf Coast. Somewhere down there, yeah. Yeah, um, my good bud. And so, um, and man, we just got the best rides. Oh, and, and see, we got all these regular writers too, like uh, Kim Robinson, the Australian MMA fighter, mm -hmm. and uh, Boss Spleet, who I think is Dutch or, uh oh, <laughs> I forget. <laughs> He's Dutch. Um, and then we got this guy, uh, William Van Wagenen, who uh, is from out west, I think in in uh, Utah or Nevada or something somewhere. Who is? He's absolutely going to be, you know, regarded forever as one of the greatest historians of America's dirty war in Syria awesome. under the Barack Obama years. It's just incredible stuff that he's written for us. And it just goes on and on. Like, it's yeah. just the best thing in the world, man. It's the Libertarian Institute. LibertarianInstitute.org. Yeah. Oh, and we publish books, tons of books. I've got eight some so of them far back here and, on my, and eight on more bookshelf. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. So everybody needs to go visit Libertarian Institute website. I'll link to it. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. We did this short notice, but I thought this is important. We need to get this information out. Folks need to make those calls. Yep. And, you know, I know I promised to do the bullet point version, but that just never does stick, does it? <laughs> no, it's it's not it's not a thing. And it's, uh, it's all good because people need to know this information. People need to understand what's going on. So you're doing the world a great service. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah, it is the kind of thing, you know, we didn't march the 3rd Infantry Division in there and to get them all blown up by IEDs on the side of the road and all this stuff like Iraq War II. So it has very much gone under the radar, but yeah. it 
ultimately is every bit as bad as Iraq War II, just fought with this, you know, degree of deniability. But that's just a construct. The responsibility remains on America's world empire, you know, our side in this. Boom. All right, my friend. We're going to wrap it up. And uh, again, thank you so much. Appreciate you. All right. So you have some homework. I can almost guarantee you that this is the only time you're ever going to hear me tell you to call your congressman. But today I am telling you to call your congressman and your senator. Well, I'm not telling you to because I can't really tell you what to do. I'm asking you to because I think this is really important. And I think that if enough people from across the political spectrum pressure members of Congress enough, we can get U.S. participation in this war ended. And if the U.S. butts out of it, it's almost certainly going to end. This is an opportunity to end a genocide and to end the U.S.'s, the United States' role in what has just been a human tragedy. And, you know, it's easy to, to not know it's not going on. We don't hear about it in the news. There are people over there, you know, they're, they're others, you know. Jesus loved those, loves those people just as much as he loves you. And, you know, we're supposed to be the hands and feet this is an opportunity to do something. So go to 1833stopwar.com. It's number 1833stopwar.com. And again, as Scott said, it has um, talking points you can use. You'll actually just dial that number and put in your zip code. It'll get you right through to uh, your congressman and senator's office. Take the 10 minutes out of your day and do this. I've done it. It needs to be done. So with that, I guess we'll wrap the show up. Don't forget to go visit foxandsons.com to get yourself some coffee. Use the promo code GODARKY to get a dollar off your order. And uh, remember, you can support the show. Hit the supporter, uh, supporting listener or supporting... Gosh, you know, I'm an idiot. I can't remember my own website. Support Godarchy. That's the button you push on the top of the website at godarchy.org. Uh, so obviously, I need a lot of support. Um, and, and I really do appreciate all the folks who have, have supported and donated and, and worked uh, with this project. And um, so with that, we're going to wrap up this show for this week. I hope everybody has uh, a good rest of your week, rest of your day or night or whenever you're listening to this. And um, we'll talk at you here soon. All right, it's time for the ending stuff. Again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Make sure you check out the website, godarchy.org. You can sign up to our email list there. We're also on social media, on Facebook, at godarchy.org. We're on the Twitters, at godarchy. And you can also find us on MeWe. Just look for godarchy. If you want to contact me, shoot me an email, info at godarchy.org. And of course, you can support the show. Just go to godarchy.org. Hit the support godarchy button. Follow the instructions. Again, we really value your listenership. That's all. There's no more. Just listen to the music. <laughs>